Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Become Fire podcast. It is your host, Father Anthony, along with Father Peter Teresa McConnell. Hello, hello. Good to be with you, Father. And we have a special guest. <laughs> surprising to believe we've done this a hundred times. <laughs> it's hard to believe we got yeah, through a hundred yeah. of these. Most yeah. of you haven't been on the journey the whole time, yeah. but for those who have, uh, congratulations. Um, we have a special guest with us, uh, Bishop Olmsted. Bishop Olmsted, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so good to have you, Bishop. Oh, delighted that I can join you today. Yeah, it is a, a wonderful, wonderful blessing uh, to be with you. Uh, we do want to, as we begin, um, encourage people to do one of two things. One is to like our podcast, um, subscribe to the podcast on whatever uh, way you listen to it, uh, share our podcast with other people um, to kind of spread the word. And also, uh, please go to our website and sign up for our emails. We got our emails and our social media that we get out. Um, not only this, but other information. We have our big fundraiser coming up called Friar Q, and we will have a special guest at that Friar Q, Bishop Olmsted, for receiving <laughs> so our blessed. Become Fire yeah. Award. So he will be with us for our, our Friar Q event this year, which is February 25th. We're starting at, with 5 p.m. Mass at St. Bernard of Clairvaux. So please go to our website, becomefire.faith, um, to come be a part of this wonderful, wonderful event and to support our men who are in seminary who are studying for the priesthood. So without further ado, um, uh, Bishop Olmsted, we just wanted to get right into it um, and, and start with your, uh, your upbringing. So where are you from? And uh, can you tell us a little bit about your family? Well, I was born uh, in Kansas. Um, I was uh, raised on a farm. It was a very simple farm. Uh, so we farmed with horses uh, and uh, milk cows by hand. And uh, uh, the school that we went to was literally a one-room school. Uh, there were five families that made up the school. The teachers, some of the times, had an eighth grade education, sometimes high school education. And, and toward the end, we had someone with a college education who was one of the neighbor girls who had just finished college. Wow. That was two years of college that she had finished. Wow. Um, so it was um, a very simple beginning in terms of, of that. Uh, but we were uh, the only Catholics in the school. Hmm. Uh, and in the whole area, there were very few Catholics. Uh, my father is a convert, and his mother, my grandmother, was a very anti-Catholic. Wow. And there was a lot of anti-Catholicism in that area. Right. Um, but I was raised in a family where prayer was like breathing. Yeah. Mm. Um, it was just so natural. And so we always um, prayed um, at every meal, uh, meal prayers. We always prayed uh, evening prayer every night. Um, and we'd pray the rosary during the month of May and October. Mm. Um at, with evening prayers, uh, we would kneel down in front of the dresser in my parents' bedroom and uh, light candles. We fought over who got to light the candles. <laughs> of course. And who got to blow them out at the right, end. Right, right, there were, there were, So I have five brothers and sisters. Hmm. Um, and, um, but there was something so um, assuring about that. I remember once there was like a really terrible storm that seemed to be coming our way and we didn't have... Uh, any way of knowing if there was tornadoes or things like that. So we would just watch the clouds, but we would also pray. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just had a deep sense that what a blessing that we could turn to God mm. and commit everything to him. Um, so, 
so that was that was how you know my life began in a very Catholic home, and among uh, mostly anti-Catholics. Um, but you know we were friendly with all of them, so that was a blessing, and right. it breaks down a lot of prejudices and things because mm-hmm. yeah. they know you that way. I can't remember when I did not want to be a priest. Uh, I from the time I was real little. In fact, the last I was talking with my mom two nights ago. My mom is 101 now. That's amazing. That's incredible. That's we had so a great amazing. celebration for yeah. her uh, in December. Uh, when I was talking with her, she said, you know, um, the, um, oh, I lost my track my thought. Um, You've always wanted to be a priest. Yeah. She said, I, th- I think I remember you're celebrating mass when you were like four years of age. Wow. I said, yeah, that's true. And, and, <laughs> and my brother Jerry didn't like the idea of being my <laughs> server. I was the youngest of the three brothers. We were one year apart. Okay. He was one year older than I. And uh, yeah, he wasn't too sold on doing that. <laughs> but I, I just always had an attraction mm. to Mass. Wow. And there was something about the sacred that really drew me very mm. strongly. Sacred art. Um, we would have Stations of the Cross that uh, Father Daly would come down and have mm. Mass for us. We were a mission church. He had another church where he lived that was in a regular um, parish. Um, and it was always, uh, I was so taken by the beauty of uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori's meditations on yeah. the stations. Yeah. And we would always have benediction at the end of that as well. Right. So the combination of those together, uh, which were, you know, when, when you don't really have much liturgical life, yeah. when you're a little mission a long ways away, uh, it was glorious to see that. And it, it, I was always really drawn into that. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. Um, I guess that brings up a lot of questions for me. But I think first is, how, how did being raised on a farm form your character? I'm guessing you had to get up and milk cows. And when you weren't at school, you were doing labor. And and how how was that formation of being raised in that, that very simple but very uh, work-oriented uh, way of life. How did that form your character? Yeah. Well, first of all, you, you cannot help but see God as a creator. Yeah. Mm. And you, you're praying for, for when storms seem to be coming in or when there's a drought that you're mm-hmm. into and right, all those right. kind of things. So, so the, the sense of praying to God and the God being a God of nature and trusting in God more and more, which was such a great example of my mom and dad, mm. because no matter what happened, uh, and we had some really bad years. I remember the very year I, I left to go to Rome to study to be a priest, we had a, the night before we had a terrible, terrible um, hailstorm that that just ruined all of the, the corn crop. Mm. The, the, the corn was standing, you yeah. know, seven to eight feet tall. And after this was over, there wasn't anything over a foot off the ground. Wow. It was just totally destroyed. Um, little rabbits were killed. Birds were killed. Mm. The tr- many of the trees were killed. The whole, all the windows on the south side of the house and other places were wow. knocked out. And, um, you know, there was um, just a sense of, you know, we get on tomorrow when we, we start repairing the house. And, right. Um, and living on the farm, uh, we didn't... We didn't have to make money so much because we grew all of our crops. Right. Yeah. Uh, we went hunting in the winters. We we ate from the game that we could have that way. We always uh, butchered our own 
uh, hogs and cattle. Um, and we raised a large number of chickens every year. We'd butcher all of the roosters in that. We had lots of eggs, of course. We sold eggs as well. We, we had milk cows and we had stock cattle. So the milk cows we would milk. So um, we always were milking between 10 and 20 cattle every mm. day. So the day always started uh, uh, when, if you're going to go to school, you had to start milking cows. So <laughs> so I got started in the practice of getting up at 5.30 or 6 every morning yeah. to milk the cattle. Um, but that was a big thing because I was the third son and it was my dad. So I was getting to go out and do the stuff with them. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That didn't last a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but still, uh, there was a sense, it was, it was us together as a family. Mm -hmm. So the notion of family and family working together and supporting one another. So if anybody got sick, including my dad or others, we just, everybody just pitched in and took mm -hmm. care of all of that. Um, so, and plus, um, it was always a home that was very joyful. So whenever it rained, when we couldn't be out in the fields working, we'd all go, always go uh, fishing. Oh, nice. So we did lots of fishing. Yeah, okay. Uh, supplied all, all of that for us and we would freeze fish if we couldn't eat it all, although we, <laughs> we ate a good amount <laughs> all the time. We did a lot of hunting in the winter as well. Um, but it was, that was a family that, that things were done. That's beautiful. Yeah. We had horses, riding horses and work horses, both on the farm. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I was the one who most loved the riding horses. And whenever we had colts, I was the one that got to work with them and wow. what they call breaking the horse, wow. getting, them, getting them accustomed to the yeah. bridle and the, and the saddle and all of those kind of things. So it was, it was a very joyful, happy, united family. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, obviously being in a one room schoolhouse, like how did you then pursue a vocation coming from, you know, this, I'm guessing eighth grade education was where the schoolhouse ended? Or? That's correct. Okay. Yes. So it was uh, one through eight. Um, I was in the biggest class in the school. There were twins and myself, <laughs> <laughs> which was a great blessing because one of the twins, uh, a girl, Jeannie, was very, very bright. Mm. And Bob was bright, but he didn't study. <laughs> so Jeannie and I were always competitive in terms of, of studying and all of that. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't a big competitiveness because it wasn't a big yeah. group. But, um, but it was nice to have that kind of, uh, of, of a gathering there. But then after I finished the eighth grade, uh, the nearest school, high school, was about uh, 12 to 13 miles away. And there were buses that would come out and pick us up for that. Okay. Um, so that was a big change because it was, it seemed like a huge school. Mm -hmm. So my freshman year, there was one senior boy and five girls. So wow. that was the senior class. Wow. But our class had 17 in our, in our, it yeah. started. Um, so um, there was, there was two other Catholics in the school, one girl and one boy out of the 17 in my class. And um, both of those were practicing Catholics. Um, and both of them uh, I became friends with. So Charles um, loved horses, rode horses all the time, wanted to do something horse in his life. He became a park ranger and did that. Wow. Wow. So that was, and then Barbara, um, a very kind of shy girl. She's married to a deacon now, and we've kept up in touch over the years. Mm -hmm. So I had good examples from the few Catholic families that lived in the whole area there right. yeah. as well. Um, and then there was a priest that came to the town where I was, um, who loved, um, baseball and, uh, he had two other parishes. It wasn't the 
church we went to because we were still in Kansas. We had since Kansas go to school because our farm house that we were in was the Kansas side of the farm. And uh, so um, it was through um, his influence as a priest um, that um, I got to talking about priesthood with him. Now, I'd never told anybody that I wanted to be a priest, but I knew in my own heart I yeah. really wanted to. Yeah. But um, my junior year there, he called me down to his rectory and said, did you ever think about being a priest? And um, I said, actually, I've always thought about being a priest. So that was terrific because he had already come to, he'd visit us out on the farm once in a while. And we always talk about St. Louis Cardinals and the Kansas yeah. City Royals and that kind of yeah. thing. Right. Yes. Good. And then from there, so you graduate high school, and then did you go to seminary? So, or? so yeah, so I, I, he gave me a little book about becoming a priest. Mm. And he said, why don't you take and read this and then come back next week and we'll talk about it. So um, so I did. And then he, when I went back, he said, well, if you're going to be a priest, you have to decide whether it be a religious community or be part of a, of a diocese. And I said, can you explain that? Because <laughs> sure. none of this stuff means anything to yeah. you yet, you know? And he did. And he said... Um, if you would be a Dawson priest, you have to decide because your farm is part in Nebraska and part in Kansas. And I said, uh, well, we've always gone to church in Nebraska because the nearest church was nine miles away and it was in Nebraska there. And he said, well, I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Kansas City. Um, so he said, you'd have to choose between one of those. Um, so um, I decided to stay with the, the Nebraska side because that's where I'd always gone to wow. church. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Um, even though when I eventually was ordained, Father Pickard, who was the priest there in Kansas, I had preached at my first mass. Uh, so we kept in touch, obviously. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's how I, and then as soon as I applied to the seminary, I was accepted and um, entered the seminary. First time I was in any kind of a Catholic institution. Hmm. And for me, I was like a kid in a candy shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this it's, is a, oh, please. Especially the library. Mm. Because I never dreamed there was so much to yeah. study, you know? Wow. You know, when you begin coming out of a little farm and all of that, I read everything I could get a hold of, but there wasn't a lot to get a hold of. <laughs> and, um, so I, I just was fascinated by the library. Became student librarian all four years there, and then wow. all four years later in, in theology as well. Um, but also, I was just uh, so struck by the fact that I really liked these other, made friends quickly, and, mm -hmm. and just felt, you know, these are these are ordinary young men yeah. who hear a call. Um, so it was not a hard adjustment at all. In fact, it really was like God was answering all my longings. <laughs> Praise God. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And really never had any crisis, even though I probably should have, <laughs> because uh, by the second year I was there, it was I, I entered the seminary in 1965, the last session of the Second Vatican Council. Yeah. But by the time I was a junior in college, things were beginning to get crazy. Mm -hmm. So it, it, in that junior year and senior year, about every three months on an average, another priest would leave the, the faculty. And mm -hmm. uh, it was just really confusing yes. uh, time. But for some reason, I didn't get confused. I mean, uh, I think because of my own background, my family and all mm -hmm. of that, 
Um, so um, I kind of was saved from stuff happening there in that sense. Um, and then after those four years there, then the bishop asked me to go study in Rome for the next four years, um, which is nothing I had ever thought of before at sure, all. Sure, yeah. To travel to a whole another continent and yeah. all of that. Um, and things were even more chaotic in Rome than they were in wow. the seminary here. Yeah. yeah. So where, where were you at College Seminary? At College Seminary, I was in Denver. Oh, you're in Denver. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Then it was called St. Thomas Seminary. Okay. Um, and then when the Vincentians left there and the diocese took it over, they changed it to St. John Vianney. Okay. And then did you do, that? you did your theology there as well or your theology? My, my all f four years of theology were all in Rome. In Rome. Wow. Okay. Yes. Wow. And, and I guess I, I, you know, um, that's really interesting. I mean, obviously, cause you persevered in a very, very, very difficult mm. time. And but for, I didn't know it was difficult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's really sometimes ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, to show you how crazy it was, the very, uh, the month before I left for Rome, the vicar general of the Diocese of Lincoln left the priesthood mm. and the chancellor left the priesthood and married his secretary. Wow. So um, it, it was really chaotic. Yeah, yeah, that is. So it made me aware that things were chaotic. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah. somehow it didn't, I didn't really know. And the bishop, you know, I trusted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just went off to Rome. Wow. Yeah. And, and you, this was your first time out of the country? First time out of the country. Yeah. That's, how, how, did the, how did your parents take that? Um, well, they didn't really know what to think. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so my father was a convert, but a really good convert. He loved his Catholic faith. I found out that, that just uh, during, between the time he died and the funeral, from my mom that their first date was midnight mass. Wow. Wow. So here he is raised by a mom who's very anti-Catholic. Yes. No, his dad wasn't, but his mom was. So I suppose a you know, teenager, <laughs> a little rebellious sure, yeah. to date, you know, yeah. to date a Catholic yeah. and go up and ask her to do it. But still, just imagine his first time of experiencing the liturgy mm -hmm. was Christmas mass. Mm -hmm with all the beautiful Christmas yeah. music. And he loves music and yeah. he's a good singer himself. Yeah. Uh, and there he's, he's there with his girlfriend, you know, first date. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was part of God's providence yeah. really uh, that that was the case. Yeah. So um, he had no idea what it was like, you know, what it mean for me to go to Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was asked to go, so go. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, you go to Rome, and that's it, Paul the Sixth is the Pope. At Correct. The time? Okay. Yes. And then, and, and do you you get asked to go to further studies as well? Is that immediate or was that later? No, it was later. Well, okay. I was asked right at the as I was finishing my last year, and I, I said to the bishop, "I I will go if you insist." But I said, "I don't have any experience in a, as a priest in a parish." Yeah. In addition, our little farm was on the Kansas side of the farm where I grew up and I know hardly any priests. Right. So I think it'd be really helpful for me to get to know priests in the diocese yeah. and to get some experience because he wanted me to study canon law. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't too wild about studying canon law, <laughs> but I also was thinking if I'm going to be studying canon law, I really should know more about parish life yeah. and that sort of thing. So 
Uh, so I came back and I did three years at the cathedral parish. In, okay. Uh, okay. How was that experience? That was great. Um, I, first of all, one of my classmates, um, was, um, in Rome. He was, he was uh, from Ireland, but mm. he joined our diocese as a seminarian. He was at the Irish college there then. So we got stationed together at the cathedral parish. Uh, so two associates and a pastor, plus the vicar general, um, who had replaced the one who had left. Mm-hmm. Um, he was living in the same house. Um, so it, it was, it was really a deep immersion in being very active, like you're both very active. Sure, sure. So I was teaching seven, fifth and sixth grade every day of religious classes and first grade, second grade and fourth grade, I was teaching uh, one day a week. Okay. Wow. Uh, and there were double classrooms of all of those. Wow. Um, so I was, I was spending about 70 hours in the classroom and then I was teaching one class of juniors in the high school every day as well. And then I was secretary to the bishop and it was MC for driving him around for all his things. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it was very active. Yes. Yes. Really, really active. Yeah. Are there any particular highlights from that time of your priesthood? That really stand out any particular memories? Well, I think of, first of all, I just think of the wisdom of the bishop putting me in to teach. Hmm. Because I wasn't very confident about teaching, but you just have to do it to learn. Right. Right. And thrown into teaching all these different ages, high school and kindergarten, first grade, all of that, mm-hmm. uh, was a really good experience, very mm-hmm. good experience. And then through that, you had to, you got to know the parents and began to see mm-hmm. how parental life. And that beca- yeah. that's when I became aware of broken marriages and things like that, mm. um, which was, I guess I would say, that's when you know you, your heart gets broken when you see that what happens in families, yeah. and you see the kids suffering from that so much. Because mm-hmm. uh, I really wasn't aware of that so much, you know, mm-hmm. from from my whole background. Um, yeah, so that would those that would be very striking. Another thing that had a big impact in my life is because I came back to a diocese that I didn't know priests there very well. Mm-hmm. I came back with the prayer that it would be a way for me to get to know the priests. And relate to them in a way that had some depth to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'd noticed just among a few priests that I knew is that when they got together, they often got together to play cards um, and maybe um, just to smoke and have a drink or something like that. That didn't interest me because I didn't smoke in our family. Nobody in our family drank. And uh, it didn't have a depth to it. It didn't seem to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just happened to find in a, um, a magazine of the Jesus Caritas Fraternity of Priests. Uh, and it just made so much sense to me. So just reading an article about it, I talked to my spiritual director, um, uh, which was a Dyson priest, great blessing in my life. Uh, and I said, I think I'd like to introduce this to some of the other young priests and see if they'd be interested. He said, sure, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent, um, or I called on the phone, um, 11 other guys and all but one came. Wow. So we had 10 come yeah. to the first meeting. And uh, out of that formed two Jesus Cartos fraternities. So from that day forward, I had an uh, introduction to Charles de Foucault. Yeah. Started praying the prayer of abandonment every single day, which yeah. had a huge impact for me. And started making a, I had, you make a promise in that to do an hour of adoration every day. So so that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, now I must I must say before that, my second day in the parish, 
before we ever thought about Jesus Caritas Fraternity and all that, Catherine Easley came over, big woman, um, six kids of her own. She said to me, Father, you'll take uh, adoration from two to three in the morning on Tuesdays, yes? <laughs> and I said, um, she said, let me explain. She said, we have adoration 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. And your predecessor had two to three in the morning. So I'm sure you'd like to take it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that I got shamed into doing <laughs> an hour of adoration from yes. two to three in the morning. Yeah. But it was it was terrific. Wow. And what really made me think about it more concretely was I was preceded by the former governor of Nebraska from one to two. Mm. Wow. And I was followed by a young dental student from three to four mm -hmm. for the three years that I was there in the, in the cathedral. So here was this gov former governor who's mm -hmm. driving all across yeah. uh, town to get there at, at, at one in the morning till wow. two. And then this young dental student doing the same thing from, yeah. from three to four. Wow. Um, and you know, when you have tough winters of ice and snow yeah. and everything like that, and no matter what, they were always there. Wow. Yeah. And if they weren't, they'd call me in and I'd go over and take an extra hour. But yeah. still, I mean, it was terrific. Yeah. Uh, so those examples made me realize if they're doing this, mm -hmm. then I should certainly have, you know, be sacrificial in terms of doing the hour yeah. of adoration. Wow. So it set me up for the Jesus Christ fraternity, yes. I would yeah. say. Yeah. I was, Bishop, I was curious. You said that you couldn't, you always wanted to be a priest. Yeah. And uh, so I'm wondering what was your ordination like and the moment where that childhood dream yeah. came to fruition in your first mass and, 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 and that, those experiences, what was, what was that like for you to kind of reach that? Well, first of all, it was the only time that my parents came to Rome. Mm. They didn't have a lot of money. So to come to yeah. Rome was big, but it was, I was being ordained there. Wow. So it was in, it was in July after, um, my fourth year there, of course. Yeah. And um, we were ordained in St. Peter's Basilica at the altar of the chair, which is the altar mm -hmm. behind them, the, the central one that only the Pope uses. Um, so, right, you know, if, if the altar of the chair has right above it this, out of alabaster and other um, jewels, it, it has the Holy Spirit window. Mm hmm so that I will never forget being ordained wow. there. Yeah. Um, and it was ordained by um, the rector of, of the seminary, um, Bishop Hickey, um, who went on to be a cardinal hmm. in this country. Uh, so I knew him well because he was obviously the seminary rector. Um, but just before we ordained, we went over to the papal apartments and we had an audience with Paul the Sixth, and he invited us to. Uh, uh, well, he you know exhorted us to to be good priests. <laughs> yes. uh, but that was that was a great privilege as well. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where was your first mass in Rome then, with your family? And my first mass in Rome was at the Graduate House of the North American College, which is a little chapel called uh, Our Lady of Humility. Wow, um, San Maria della Umiltà. And so it was, it was uh, since we were all ordained as a large group, you could just find a little place. Well, it, it was a nice little sized chapel. Yeah. Um, I think there were about 10 who came. There were 
my pastor and one other priest came and uh, one aunt and one cousin. So it was yeah. a very small number. Yeah. Came my, my mom and dad and two of my sisters came. Wow. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Our Lady of Humility, I've never heard of that. That's, that's really beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful little chapel. And after three years of being a priest, when I was sent back to Rome, that's where I was living because it's the graduate house. Mm. So that's where I did my Hour of Adoration okay, wow. when I was there. Yeah. And that was the first time, too. My first year there, I started fraternities in Rome of Jesus Caritas in Spanish and in, or in English and in uh, Italian. Um, and a group of us who had joined the fraternity with me decided to do an all-night prayer vigil mm-hmm. on a Holy Thursday night. Oh yeah, and I had never done that before. Yeah, uh, But somehow we just felt called to do that. Yeah. As part of the fraternity itself. And there were two things I remember about it. One is they had a Seder meal then um before that and they they served wine four times during the meal during a Seder meal. <laughs> you become very sympathetic with the apostles having a hard time staying <laughs> yes. awake. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now I drank very little wine because I really never was one who drank wine, but yeah. some of the others drank a little more, but it still was hard to stay up during the night. However, we didn't know until that time that all the heat went off in the chapel. Oh boy! Um, during the night, so it yeah. only came on in the morning. So, oh boy, we had uh, we had to have people go out and get blankets <laughs> to wrap ourselves in blankets. Yeah, yeah, just just to stay awake. So that helped us stay awake. Yes, <laughs> penitential vigil for sure. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Bishop, you said um, that the prayer of abandonment has been influential in your spirituality. Yeah. Can you explain um, how it's influenced you, you and your spirituality? Well, I would say I, I was just so confident that that God had answered my prayer to find a way to, to get to know other priests in a way that really had a depth. So I was so grateful for the Jesus Cartas fraternity itself that I trusted that that prayer must be really important. Mm. And uh, I would say it, it's become... Um, it, it just has so much wisdom in it for living one day at a time. You know, you, the, every single part of it, a father, just the word father, it ends with, begins with the word father, it ends with the word father. Mm. And the first words, father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Yeah. Whatever you may do, I thank you. So the, the theology in it is perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it's, it's really formed my life very, very much because I've always prayed it every single morning. Um, and I found that the longer I've been a priest that that sometimes it takes longer and longer just to get through it in the morning, just seeing, saying with phrases and things, mm-hmm. you know. And as you're aware, sometimes you're aware of a couple of things during the day that may be challenging, but you just give that all to him. You surrender it all to him. Yeah. And it, it just changes the day to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and no matter where I am, I've always, you know, that's the way I start my day. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're studying canon law in yeah. Rome. Any particular highlights you want to mention from that that time studying? Well, uh, I, I should say that the universities in Rome went through all the turmoil that we had here. So you had the same thing of priests leaving. And you had confusion about doctrine that was being taught. Um, so uh, I was very fortunate that I studied canon law. Because there were dis- dissenting theologians that were teaching in the other departments, mm-hmm. but in the th- in the canon law department there were none. 
wow. so that was a huge, huge blessing yeah. to me. So I, I, you know, I didn't realize it till later. Really, you know, I was, yeah. I was a little innocent lamb walking. <laughs> God was taking care of all of these things, but it, but I realized it later, later on. And the, the one of the deans of the Canon Law School, uh, Father Navarrete, was later made a cardinal, um, just because he was recognized as being such a good canonist and all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I was, uh, I was under people that I could really trust, and. Um, what I was pretty confident of before I even went to Rome, but became even more confident, when you're given a chance to do ongoing studies, it gives you time to, to, to do more reading and thinking about being a priest and serving the Lord, that kind of thing. So, so it was, a, it was a, a wonderful time for me in terms of reflecting on the first three years as a priest and how the canon law would help me in that regard. Mm-hmm. And then I made some really good friends among those yeah. students I was with. That's, That's beautiful. Yeah. And then after you've uh, completed your degree, um, your doctorate, right? You yes. Your, your license or your doctorate. Doctorate. Do you, did you come back to the U.S. or were you immediately called to serve? I did not come back. In fact, okay. I hadn't even finished the doctorate. Um, when I was doing my third year, the doctoral year, which was writing my dissertation and finishing some other seminars I had to do, John Paul II got elected. So he gets elected uh, on October 16th, Mm. 1978. And in March, I was asked to um, assist the Secretary of State, which assisted him in his daily ministry. Um, Because they realized when he was elected Pope, he was going to travel. Young, vigorous, spoke 14 languages. And um, they didn't have many... A priest whose first language was English. And the rule of, of the Vatican was that you, whatever language you translated into had to be your native language. So you could translate from French or Italian or Spanish or mm-hmm. Latin or and all that. Um, but the Pope himself, if he was going to travel, at least half of his voyages would be to English-speaking countries. Mm. So they really needed to beef up the number of people who could help him prepare right. for all of those yeah. those those things. So I was asking in March. I didn't actually start until uh, August of that year. Um, so, I, so that gave me time to finish the first draft of my doctoral dissertation, <laughs> which the next summer um, I defended then yeah. when I was there. Wow. And so please, we would love to hear about St. John Paul II and your time with him and, and that impact on your life. Yeah, again, you know, I was just this innocent little lamb being led all over the place, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's never anything I ever dreamed of doing. Yeah. And when they asked me whether I would do it, I said no. <laughs> um, so they, I was called over the, to the Vatican, um, and I, was, I said, uh, asked if I would agree to work in the Secretary of State uh, because it was a great need for English speakers uh, who had a degree in a doctor or very close to having the degree. And I said, no. And they said, what? (laughs) I said, well, I come from this little tiny diocese. We have one canon lawyer. He's already 69 years of age. And they have great needs. Yeah. Uh, So it doesn't seem fair to me to say yes to this. Um, And so um, 
priest who was interviewing me said, well, don't you think your bishop should make that choice? <laughs> I said, of course, of course. Uh, if he says yes, then that's definitely, I would definitely do it. Yeah. So, so it's okay with you if we write your bishop. I said, yes. Yeah. But I would have one request. I'd like to be able to write him ahead of time and say, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> um, I'm willing to do it. Yeah. It's whatever you want me to do, I will happily do. I'll come home or I'll stay here. Yeah. So <laughs> he, when he got the letter, he sat down and he, he wrote a list. No, he wasn't going to do it. But he didn't send it. Mm. He said he couldn't sleep all night. Wow. And he woke up the next morning and said, I can't say no to the Pope. Wow. Wow. And um, so <laughs> so that's how I ended up working wow. with John Paul II. Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Moving, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what was he like? Was I mean, what, did you have personal interactions with uh, Pope John Paul II? John Paul, yes, not every day. Okay. So um, most all the work that I did, uh, he was getting about 10,000 letters a day in English. So the English section was growing at that right. time. So we had a lot of work just answering all the letters mm -hmm. right. and telegrams. We didn't have email then. Sure, yeah. Thanks be to God. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Uh, so, so there was all of uh, all of that uh, English things, and then when he had uh, 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 was preparing for trips, there was a lot of preparation to do by that. And part of that was was uh, translating the text that he that he would use work from was it was Italian. That was the common language that we had to work with mm. there, and. Um, so we would help with that to get the text into English that was appropriate English. We even had to, I even had to major in what part of the world English I got. Wow. Because you had to be careful the way the English was spoken in England mm. right. or Africa okay. or, yeah. or even Canada. Uh, so that we would know what, what vocabulary was appropriate to that particular language. Wow. Um, but, you know, preparing for those was, was, um, was, it was very informative for me, but it was also uh, inspiring to see the way that the impact that he was having when he traveled all around the world. Um, so before we, he would go for a visit, they would invite us, like it was, we were going to English country to, to have a, a meal with him and talk about what was there. So those would be times when I'd meet with him. Mm -hmm. One of us from the English section, which was one of four of us priests, would always be at all the audiences that he had in English. So we would take turns doing that to introduce the English speaking pilgrims who were there to the Holy Father and also uh, to um, to give a resume in English of what he said in it in the longer Italian talk that he gave at the Wednesday audiences. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the exciting things was, although I didn't know it was exciting at the time, um, is that I started on the 29th of August and the first Wednesday audience after that uh, he started Theology of the Body wow. conversations, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which went on over the next six years. Yeah. Wow. Um, so so I, I kind of got introduced to that, although uh, I really didn't know what I was getting into at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but still, it was, it was uh, it obviously deepened my interest to know more about Theology yeah. of the Body and right. the whole area of, of um, sexuality, identity of men and women. Mm -hmm. and, marriage yeah all the crises that we're seeing yes. right now right very prophetic 
Yeah. Yeah. It was really helpful to have. Yeah. And helpful to have uh, worked with a man who was just so confident in the truth mm. that the truth really does set people free. Wow. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a great blessing for everybody, for the poorest of the poor. We need to give them not only material goods, but spiritual goods. And that means you yeah. need to give them the truth. Right. Mm. Yeah. And how many years were you there uh, serving at the, for the Secretary of State? Uh, I was there for nine and a half years. Okay. Wow. Um, and w- were you able to come home and see your family at all? Or Yes. We'd have one month off every year. Okay. Uh, and I always took August off. Okay. And I always came home to the farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent good time there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do the, some math in my head and I'm hoping I'm remembering correctly, but then you would have been there then for the assassination attempt. Is that right? I was. So what was that like? Well, I remember it well, uh, because, um, it was, was one of those days when I wasn't able to do my holy hour at the beginning of the day, which I usually did. Mm. So I came back, um, from work and, and, um, I was actually in the chapel doing my holy hour. And I kept hearing these helicopters going over and sirens and all this stuff because the North American College where I lived was close enough to the to the square. Mm-hmm. It's just up on the hill overlooking it. It's, it. Obviously something was going on, but I, I was one of the last persons in Rome to know that wow. <laughs> the Pope had been shot. Yeah. Wow. Um, but um, then within... Uh, 24 hours, I was asked to visit two of the women who were wounded by the shots that traveled through his body because wow. they were both Americans. One was wow. a Protestant, um, actually a wife of a Protestant minister in Germany in an army base. And the other one was a, um, um, a Polish-American from Buffalo, New York. Hmm. Uh, so he went, the Holy Father wanted somebody to visit them in the hospital. Yeah, um, And so that was... Um, I mean, to, to represent him, to just come to see how they were doing mm-hmm. and pray with him and all. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's really impactful. Yeah. Uh, any other highlights from your time in Rome that uh, you think are, are, are worth mentioning? Uh, lots of things, I suppose. But um, those are the things we've touched on, some of the main things for sure. In a, in a personal self-indulgent interest, I'm curious if you just... Spending time with with with, with uh, John Paul and Mother Teresa, I know they had a close relationship, and she would travel there a lot. And um, just, yeah. I, I never was at an audience with John Paul and Mother Teresa just when it was the two of them, mm-hmm. um, because they both spoke English. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Even though it wasn't the native language for yeah. one of them. Um, however, I was uh, the translator for Mother Teresa with members of the Secretary of State who spoke j- just Italian. Okay. Um, so I remember that well. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I remember is that at the very end of it, um, when I was helping her, she took my hands in her hands and she said, Father, pray that m- I and my sisters never lose our spirit of joy. Mm. Wow. That really struck me because yeah. if there's one thing that the poor need, it's joyful servants yeah. that are there. Yeah. Um, so, but I, so that was when I got to meet her there. And then yeah. when she came at other times, I, um, like I had mass with her and the sisters, mm-hmm. uh, the convent where they were at San Gregorio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so beautiful. I know, I know beauty is, uh, you know, 
just such an important part and, and Rome is, is filled with it. Mm. I'm wondering if there are any particularly beautiful churches or just beautiful, you know, choirs or things like that that you that you remember are, are important or special to you from your time in, in Rome? Well, I would say you, it'd be hard to spend four years in Rome and not grow in appreciation of beauty. Mm. The Italians themselves are so creative. Mm. And so the churches are glorious. Yeah. And um, uh, I, I always walked rather than took buses or subways because there's just so much of interest to see there. And, and so many of the churches, so I, I'd stopped in many of the churches. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, yeah, some of those were, were magnificent. Uh, St. Peter's will always be very important. I was ordained there yeah. um, and you know, would uh, pray there a lot as well. Yeah. Um, so, but there's just so many churches in Rome, it'd be hard to single out others. Sure, sure, yeah. Our favorite piece of art. Well, for my ordination card, I had the Pietà. Mm, so yeah. I love the Pietà very yeah. much. I chose it because um, Mary is holding Jesus. In uh, 1973, uh, there was so much confusion beginning to happen in the church, after, um, especially after Humanae Vitae in 1968. Mm -hmm. But there was also a lot after the war in Vietnam, was a lot of dissent and divisions in this country. And Mary holding her, her son, I, I saw her as a symbol of hope. Mm. If, if you can hold your own child in your arms and still believe and trust in God, yeah. um, she's a great intercessor for us, I thought. So that's why I chose um, the Pietà. I mean, it's beautiful. It is, yeah. But that's a beautiful reflection. But that's the reason you. that he did. Yeah. yeah. You, Father, asked about just how the farm shaped your character. I'm, I'm curious, how did, how did Pope St. John Paul shape your, your priestly identity mm -hmm. and your priestly heart? Um, well, he's had a huge impact on my life, maybe even more as a bishop, mm. um, because I saw him operating as the yeah. Bishop of Rome. Um, but um, there were some things that especially struck me about him whenever he was going to be going to a country. So we'd talk with him beforehand. He would ask a question like this. Is there any um, confusion or, or mistaken thinking among the people of this country that if I didn't correct it, they might continue to believe in? Mm. So he, he wanted to know what needed to be addressed mm -hmm. with regard to clarity of, of, of the gospel message. Wow. Um, so that, that notion that truth and charity walk hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and, and that as a, as a teacher, and, and you know, as a priest, you're a teacher, as a bishop especially, you're the mm. first teacher of the diocese. Um, that, that left a deep impression on me that, that I, I really needed to be sure um, that, that the most difficult truths, that, that my priest never had a doubt about what I believed. Mm. Because um, I remember when I was rector of the seminary in, in Ohio and I started Jesus Caritas fraternity there with a group of priests, one of them was a hospital chaplain and he was having a terrible time <clears throat> finding the courage to support the church's teaching on the tough issues of like contraception and other things. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, well, what does the bishop say about this? And he says, I've never heard my bishop say 
anything about this. Mm. And it made me so aware of how unfair it was to him on the front lines if he didn't know what the bishop felt about these tough issues. So I was made a bishop from there, Coadjutor Bishop in Wichita, Kansas. So I, I pledged that within the first two weeks, I would make clear my teaching about Humani Vitae. Mm-hmm. I figured that was probably one of the best known issues. Right. And if they knew that I, I felt that was good news, even though it would be right. not understood fully, they'd realize that I would support the church's teaching on other tough issues. Yeah. So that's been very helpful to me. Yeah. But it really originates with John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's what a, what a witness and a gift. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Bishop. Um, this, we're going to say to be continued uh, because we are going to cut the episode in half. So uh, this will be, uh, I'm just ending the first one. We'll end the second one in a minute. But uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this uh, 100th episode with Bishop Olmsted. And it's been such a blessing. Please come in next episode to hear the continuation of the story from <laughs> Bishop Olmsted as we learn more about him um, and his beautiful time as a bishop. Um, but please, once again, um, subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast. Um, and also, we uh, would love your email address so that we can be in contact with you. Please go to our website, becomefire.faith, and uh, sign up so we can give you our newsletter and you can learn more about our community. And of course, uh, for any young men out there who might be discerning, please Amen, contact yeah. us so we can uh, reach out for potential vocations. You can imitate uh, Bishop Olmstead in this great vocation story That's that right. we've heard. Um, uh, Bishop, would you, would you mind uh, giving us your blessing to end? Sure. Thank you. Very happy to do so. Well, mighty, mighty God bless each of you and bless all of our listeners and their families, especially those who are sick or in need. May he strengthen you all in faith, hope, and charity, and the joy of the gospel. May God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith/give. That's becomefire.faith/give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.